0: Welcome to Room for Growth,
1: a Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher.
0: Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started,
1: there's plenty of room to grow.
0: Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's fing grow.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to Room for Growth. And uh, Billy, we're excited for today because we're kind of taking a bit of a pivot. We've been uh, zooming in on all of our our past episodes, really zooming in on product and messaging and really the, the things that are core to what we do every day. But shifting a little bit and also talking today a little bit about something we also do every day. Leadership, what it means to be part of a team, kind of the healthy Attributes of that and some of the challenges about that. So, our guest today, that's really what we're zooming in. And how big of a team do you oversee uh, today, Billy?
0: Yeah, so right now we've got about 60 people in our growth practice. There's almost double that amount working on projects related to how you grow product experiences, how you change human behaviors, and how we do different types of messaging to complement either the app experience or to nurture fans and customers, regardless of of how they interact with the product.
1: With that big of a team, is something I know you deal with a ton and uh, you have consultants that we work with, coaches that we work with that I think help us continue to refine how we do. And then also here at WillowTree, we have like core leadership principles that I think we're guided by and, and tend to do pretty darn well at. Um, and so I know those stick with us. Any things to think about when you think about managing your team and creating that safety and that, that great environment for people?
0: Well, first of all, one of the things that people really love about WillowTree, the reason why we're successful as an agency is sort of bridging strategy and execution and technical implementation of different tools and how you connect messaging to the product experience itself and how you help create really larger than life campaigns and things that are super performative is two ways, at least at Willow Tree. On one hand, we are extremely results-oriented. We care about the business results of our clients. We care about the strategy. We care about what they are measured by in terms of success. But we also really fundamentally care about people and the ecosystem that we're creating for individuals to bring their best selves to work, to use all of their brain power to do their best thinking, to problem-solve together. And that's really easy in theory, but I think people get these ideas conflated. They feel like you can't have great business results with some of these like fluffy concepts around leadership, things like psychological safety and how you create clarity and autonomy for teams. And those are just values that we live every day. I think they're a huge part of our secret sauce for how we outperform benchmarks in the campaigns that we launch, how we think creatively, how we bring new ideas to the table for our clients. And at the same time, if we didn't have this sort of like safety ecosystem that we create and a sense of clear expectations, particularly for our leaders and our managers, I don't think that we would be able to have that level of success.
1: Yeah, you'll hear me continue to put towards marketing teams and push towards during our conversation with Tim to our listeners. Marketing is a high stakes game, particularly uh, for our clients, for our teams working with clients where the work that we do tends to be really highly visible. It tends to come with a lot of praise or a lot of critique because of that visibility. And there's a lot of pressure associated with that. And so I think that's one of the things when I think about being a great leadership and being on a marketing team, it can be a really lonely place if you're not part of a team. You know, that we joke here in a bit that hitting that button that sends the email to millions of people is kind of a can sometimes be a lonely endeavor. And the fear of, oh my God, is there a typo in here? Have we gotten everything right? And so I think even, eh, team's always important, but with the work that we do, I think this is a critical topic of uh, just how to create a really, really great environment where people feel recognized, safe, and feel like they can continue to grow. Wouldn't you agree?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. So you're hinting at Tim Scherer, our guest today. He's an author. He wrote The Secret Society of Success, which is a book fundamentally about leadership and how you can do a better job as a leader, not working necessarily for sort of like spotlight or fame, but just in service of other people, which is great. But yes, one of the things that he says is he's like, man, I just can't imagine how stressful it would be to be the person pulling a trigger on an email that goes to millions. And I kind of laugh and I'm like, yeah, we do that like multiple times a day around here because it's true. If you send one terrible email for a huge brand, we can all think of these experiences where you've gotten the like, Test email from HBO Max, and it turns out it was sent by an intern who just didn't really know the process of QA and UAT. Like, we definitely feel this here. Having zero errors in any message that we ever put out the door is just like the lowest bar of expectations that we have for teams. And sometimes even I forget how important that is. Like, for the brands we work with, if you send one bad message, there's going to be a tweet storm about it, there's going to be a huge influx of conversation. Um, because it's that visible and it's that public. And I think sometimes I forget that the teams that I work with and that I'm coaching and mentoring and who are, you know, in return coaching and mentoring me, they live in this stress all the time. And so how do you create that like ecosystem of safety? But luckily at Willow Tree, I do think we have some really important tenants and some things that we hold dear to leadership and to what we expect, especially of managers that are extremely successful in creating that. So first and foremost... I think, Billy, we like live by our core values here. So when we talk about what our core values are, I don't know about you, but I could name them all off the top of my head. I know exactly what they are. I use them in conversation with my teams to reinforce like good principles of those things. Ownership is a huge one. We grant a lot of autonomy to our teams, but we always try to be very clear who's the directly responsible individual for any given task on a project or for any given role so that there's always a clear line of accountability. Place on one hand. Um, We balance that with things like craft, where as a company we are super committed to continuing to grow our skills and grow as craftspeople over time. Talk about things like open communication and how important it is to set clean and clear expectations, to raise risks and challenges really early, make sure we're escalating appropriately, um, and just bringing challenges to the table to discuss. Like that's just, you know, three.
1: Yeah. Realistic optimism is an interesting one that when I joined the Willow Tree team, I had never... I don't think that would be a value, a company value that I had seen before. So, And realistic optimism is really about continually maintaining a forward-looking mindset, not one that's kind of like laissez-faire, but really... You know, again, you got to pair that with craft. Like we're always trying to get better, but sometimes if you get too caught up in that, you can get almost negative, and like you're critiquing every single thing, and it's, it can create a really negative environment. So that optimism, looking forward, kind of ideas is big. One things I that I think we do that we're going to talk about with Tim is recognition. You know, there's always room for doing this better, but the teams I've been a part of, I really love how whether you're the person presenting the work or the person supporting the work that gets presented, we really do it together as a team. And uh, we celebrate as a team. So you know, I'll work on a big project. And there's four to five people in the background that have just poured their heart and soul into this work. And without them, it would completely have fallen apart. And then I get to go in many cases and present their work. It's kind of a weird place to be sometimes. So as I was listening to Tim's book and I was hearing stories of recognition, I just asked myself, like, am I good at this? Am I making sure the people on my team that I work with know that without them, I would crumble and really struggle. And so it's so easy just to get caught up doing the work of like, yeah, that's what we do. We create these things and everybody contributes and then you move on. But taking the time to like pause and, and recognize those people this was a quick reminder and you'll hear us talk more about some some great examples of that but i think that's something at willowtree i'm pretty proud and again there's always areas for improvement but i'm proud of how we uh, tackle that and i would encourage a marketing leader to like pause and say like do that same kind of audit am i really recognizing the people on my team do i know how they want to be recognized and am i recognizing them for all this kind of great work and challenging work that we do
0: yeah i think that's a great one going back to even just the idea of Realistic optimism. This is just so important to me because generally it's just more fun to work with people who are willing to face tough challenges with a can do attitude. So I think that's a component of it is that attitude becomes really tangible. But I've found that practically speaking, one redirect is generally really helpful in situations. So I think this is kind of a common like management situation, leadership situation. Where you'll have teams who get really bogged down in the complexity of the problem that they're trying to solve. The bigger the problem, the easier it is to do this, to start thinking like, well, here's the limitations we have. And here's why we don't have time. And here's why this is going to be really frustrating. Or here's why we don't have the right people. Or here's why this is never going to happen. And you'll start to hear kind of problem-solving conversations happen with this real focus on like risk and limitation, And I found that if you can just redirect an entire team by saying like, right now I hear all the reasons why we can't do this and I get that those are all real reasons, but could we just take 10 minutes, five minutes even, let's imagine all the ways we can do this. How could we do it? Let's release ourselves of the reality of the complexities and let's just talk about how can. You'll see this like immediate mindset shift where suddenly teams are all bought into trying to solve a problem together and just imagine what would have to be true to get from A to Z that has been super powerful that was something an executive coach of mine started really like utilizing in team sessions and that has been killer
1: i got a, a confession to you we've already at this time when you and i are talking we've already recorded our session with tim and the whole entire time i was tempted to bring it up but i was like i don't i'm not going to go there and that's ted lasso like as he was talking there's like so many attributes of ted lasso that i was thinking about of like like success isn't about being on top and and it kind of flies in the face of really how a lot of us are wired. Like if you're listening to a podcast about marketing, you're probably like wired to continue to grow and get better. And so it'd be easy to confuse his message with like, no, don't try to be successful. But like so many of the people that he talks about are at the top of their industry, their craft. So I don't think it has anything to do with it. But like Ted Lasso, same kind of example, of, you know. It's a character, but somebody that's like, what motivates you is another thing. Is it about like you, you're you motivated just to be in the spotlight because that's what your goal is and you want people to see you. And I think knowing that doing those things will develop a winning team is is sure he wants to win, of course.
0: That really resonated with me too. Again, because not this idea of like, oh, be a servant and serve people but because this is just an important leadership lesson to understand to be successful and to drive success. I think one of the, it's not a challenge, it's a real opportunity, but I work with extremely strong individual contributors. I'm blessed to have a team of people who by all means are the person who probably made sure every group project they were ever a part of all through their lives got an A because they worked their tail off. Like I basically have 60 of those people all on the same team together. And one of the things that actually becomes a real challenge in that as they start to grow in their career and get to a place where they are outpacing what they can do as a single individual is how to help them understand like you cannot outwork influence. You are never going to have another hour in your day to make a difference on this project. The only tool you can really have when you've reached the limit of how powerful you can be by your own devices and your own work and what impact you can cause Is by treating others around you kindly, being really generous with your time and how you train others, be really clear in your communication, be really generous in how you give direct feedback that helps other people grow and develop individually. So that was what I was thinking about when I was thinking about Tim's talk about, you know, just like what it means to be both at the top of your game and also be super generous is how do we start to coach these extremely strong individual contributors in lessons of scale, and how they take their own success and replicate it out in ways that doesn't just like destroy teams. It's not sort of iron fist stuff. It's how do you motivate people through, yeah, both clarity of expectation in terms of the results that you want to see them drive and understanding like what that scoreboard looks like for them, but kindness, recognition of work, creating safety, creating clarity. That's how I interpret it.
1: Yeah. What basic things that are so easy to forget. So You know, in the coming weeks, we're going to get back to our regular scheduled programming, talking to uh, marketing leaders. We've got some amazing clients of ours that have have done some cool work. We've got some partners uh, from some of our platform partners coming up that I know you and I are are super jazzed about.
0: I don't know if we get to do this, but like tomorrow, we're going to change gears entirely. We're recording an episode tomorrow with um, Adam Greco, who's now at Amplitude. He's like I mean, he's an incredible leader in his own right, but couldn't be a 360 like this is a man who lives and breathes data, who his entire job is being an evangelist for how you use better analytics to drive business outcomes. So I'm really excited for that interview. I'm excited to share it with folks. I think it'll be great.
1: So we've got a few of those coming up. But with that, Let's uh, get on to our conversation with Tim Schur. Tim is the author of The Secret Society of Success, Stop Chasing the Spotlight and Learn to Enjoy Your Work and Life Again. Tim is also the CEO of the David Novak uh, organization. David is the co-founder, former CEO of uh, Yum Brands, heard of them. So uh, we're pumped up for this conversation. So with that, let's get to our interview with Tim. All right, Tim, welcome to Room for Growth. It's a Friday when we're recording this, so I think we're all like amped up ready. It's a Friday afternoon, so we're pumped up and ready to uh, get our weekend started. And uh, we're really excited to have you here on Room for Growth. Before we get into some of our questions that Billy and I are happy and excited to ask you about today, want to give you a chance to tell our listeners about you. Who are you? Tell us about your story, how you got to where you are today.
2: You know, let's start because it is Friday. This is an important thing to know about me. Friday night at our house is Friday night live it up. So, we got a 4-year-old and a 2-year-old and living it up sometimes looks like ice cream sandwiches on the front porch. I mean, It could be takeout. It could be anything. But what we're talking about here is let's have a good time on a Friday.
0: (laughs) This is immediately adopted. Yeah, already leadership lesson one in the books. My house also now has Friday, live it up. Friday
2: night, live it up.
0: We're going to start tonight.
2: (laughs) So I feel like I've just been on this crazy journey the last 15 years, a journey that I'm just super grateful for. And I feel like I've and just pinching myself lately with some of the fun things that have been happening. I wanted to be the next John Mayer. And that was a big dream that I had. I moved to Nashville to go to Belmont University. Big dreams of becoming a full-time musician. And then I ultimately just failed hugely in that pursuit. But, you know, with failure, you learn a lot of stuff. And ultimately has brought me to what I'm doing today. And and I thought that success for me at that time was being a guy that everyone knew about. You know, name in lights, I'm in the spotlight. And it's interesting that I learned the further and further I got away from the spotlight and more into these behind the scenes roles, I actually started feeling even more momentum and fulfillment in my career. And so when I hear people say that success is only money, fame, power, being the boss, you know, climbing the ladder, there's a part of me that has just never fully been able to resonate with that idea because that just wasn't my experience. And in fact, Me trying to get into the spotlight is where I had my biggest failures. (laughs) And so I love this idea that what if we actually could find success wherever we are on that org chart and find meaning and purpose in our role? And I spent the last decade as um, the COO of StoryBrand working alongside Donald Miller. And it wasn't until February of this year I launched out on my own to... write a book and become a keynote speaker. And then what's so crazy is never expecting this to happen. August 1st, I was asked to take over as the CEO of David Novak Leadership. And that whole thing is with David, who's the former CEO of Yum brand. So KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, you know, he retired from Yum and wanted to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And he asked me to step in and now lead that company. And I truly am pinching myself because I never imagined I would be in this space. But if there is a thing for me that I get really excited about and I'm really motivated by, it's this idea of helping other people win. And I feel like what I want to continue showing up doing each and every day is thinking of how I can bring whatever I bring to the table in terms of my skills, my passions, my abilities, but to do it through that lens of helping somebody else win. And the fact that that is like a job, it's, it's kind of silly. And so here we are. But that's really the heartbeat, I think, for me and what I love to do.
1: Awesome, Tim. So you just released a book recently, uh, The Secret Society of Success. And I had a chance to read the book and, and really enjoyed it. But for those who haven't heard of it or had a chance to, to check it out, can you tell us what's the secret society?
2: <laughs> it's a great question. So it it really is dive into this question. You know, if I were to ask you to fill in the blank, like success is, I think a lot of people the message they are hearing is success is fame, money power. Like this is what it looks like to be successful. And so you know, I was just mentioning this journey that I've been on where I almost felt like it was more me stepping in the behind the scenes roles is when I started to find and feel that success. And so the book really explores this idea of like, if success is not only these things, what is it? And how should we be thinking about and looking at our lives and our careers and what way should we be thinking about success? And so I've uh, discovered this group of people that I call the Secret Society of Success, and they are a group of people who have just shown me, what if success looks a little differently than maybe you think it looks like? And so that's really what the book is all about. And each chapter is like a new paradigm shift for how we can be thinking of success a little bit differently.
0: Wait just a second there, because you're saying the book is all about leadership lessons that aren't revolved in sort of money, fame, power, but you interview pretty amazing people, arguably people who have a lot of money, fame, and power. I mean, there's LeBron James, there's Olympic figure skater Scott Hamilton. I'm curious who your favorite was and how you feel like that concept worked, like talking to these really famous people about a view of leadership. It's a little counterculture right now.
2: Yeah. So... That's a really important thing that you call out. You know, being in the secret society actually has little to do with your position on the org chart or the amount of visibility that you have in your role. It has more to do with how you view yourself and and your career and how you show up. And, you know, whether you are somebody like a LeBron James or a Scott Hamilton, a name that a lot of people know. Or you're somebody that's more behind the scenes and perhaps somebody that no one knows at all, you can live in the way of the secret society. And, and I think for me, that is all about the phrase that I like to use a lot is like, "Help others win. Serve others." That's what this is all about. And you know, there's so many stories of interviewing and having time spent with some of the people that you just mentioned, not LeBron James. I haven't hung with him. That would be fun though. (laughs) (laughs) But you meet a guy like Scott Hamilton. And I used to think that success was this line up and to the right, right? Like no failure, no setbacks, successful people just keep winning, right? And that's just not been Scott's story at all. In fact, the guy's had, he's had a Three brain tumors, you know, cancer. And it's, and yet he looks at some of these setbacks and the times that he's failed in his career. And he's shown me that, no, 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 success is actually embracing challenges, learning from your failures. And that's the way that you can win. And so when I get to look at somebody like Scott and he just changes how I think about success and And how I think about some of the challenges and setbacks that I'm up against on a day-to-day basis.
0: Who was your favorite person overall? I mean, you talked to such a range of folks. Who was your favorite? Who'd you find? Who'd you just want to like really stay in their presence, keep talking to them?
2: Part of the reason why I said yes so quickly to this David Novak opportunity is because, I mean, he just shows me what real success can look like. David says all the time, the happiest people in the world are other directed. And I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with him because here's somebody who's grown a business from 4 billion to $32 billion. And yet the humility that he shows up with, how he's wanting to give and share the knowledge that he's you know, accumulated and the relationships that he has how he's sharing all of these leadership lessons with others, it's remarkable. I mean, just yesterday, we interviewed Peyton Manning uh, for the podcast, and you just get to hear how someone like Peyton shows up, and he's all about, he says, ask a lot of questions. He's never the guy who wants to come in and, and act like the expert in every single area, but he talks about how if you're the guy asking for questions, that really can bring people together, bring a team together. And so spending time with David and then now also the network of people that he's exposed me to, I feel like I'm learning all the time. And uh, for that, I, I feel super grateful.
1: That's great. So Tim, a lot of the our podcast, Room for Growth, a lot of our listeners are marketers. Uh, so we really focus on providing great content for marketing teams and and folks that are at different versions of their marketing career. A lot of Fortune 1000 from folks leading a marketing team to also those behind the scenes folks on a marketing team supporting a a bunch of stuff. And as marketers, I think we're all kind of wired to be spotlight minded. I mean, it's literally part of the job in many cases of creating, you know, buzz or creating activation and and really uh, making things more successful. So if somebody's listening to this and and I had moments when I was listening to your book where I was like, oh man, I feel kind of convicted here. Uh, like, yeah, I was thinking back to different times in my own career where I was so obsessed with like getting that next title or whatever it was and then sometimes you get there and you're like, oh, okay, like nothing's actually changed and I was just fine. But if somebody's listening and they're like, okay, they're feeling a little convicted that they're spotlight minded, Do you have tips on like how to realign or catch yourself? Because being others directed is, I don't know, at least I don't think it's something you just say, okay, that's what I'm gonna wake up and be like tomorrow. So what do you think in terms of like tips and and ways to catch yourself and, and get there?
2: If there's a thing keeping us from being in the secret society, it's something I call the spotlight mindset, this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. And I think the key word there is unhealthy. To want to be seen and valued for what we do, there's a part of that that's just being human. But what can happen is if we don't feel like we're seen or valued, we start demanding attention, demanding the credit, demanding recognition. And it's that unhealthy stuff, I think that really gets us in trouble. And the reality is we have to learn to live in the tension between these two things from this you know, unhealthy desire for attention and recognition, the other side of the spectrum there would be learning to live in the way of the secret society where you're content doing the work whether or not you're ever seen or valued or recognized for it, just falling in love with the work itself. And so there is no one day that you are going to wake up and be like, I did it. I no longer you know, feel this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. The reality is every day we are going to be up against Decisions or situations where we have to choose how we are going to live. Let me give you a perfect example. Very excited about this Peyton Manning interview. I mean, we've been working on it for a while, wanting to make sure that the interview comes together just right. And, you know, him being a name that a lot of people are familiar with, it's really fun to talk about. And so, you know, I have this little video clip that I pulled from, you know, the conversation yesterday. And um, it's before the conversation got started. So it's like me and David and Peyton on this call. And I really want to post about it online because I know what would happen. I would get attention for that, right? I, I know that it would, I think there's the unhealthy side of me is like, I want people to pay attention to me and and to maybe elevate their perception of me or whatever the intention is there. But This is the the important part. What is my intention behind wanting to do that? And if I'm honest, it is an unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. This isn't coming out of the pure love of creating the thing and wanting to share it. I just want people to think of me in a different way. And so I've been thinking about this and almost preparing myself for what I've I knew I was going to be up against. And so Earlier this week, even in counseling, I was talking with my therapist about it and I'm like, I'm not gonna post it because I don't think I can do it and it to come across in a way. And so, I mean, I know that I'm talking about this on a podcast right now, but I feel like it's just insight into like, what is going on for me where, you know, I'm the guy who writes this book and yet at the same time, I am up against a decision. Like, am I going to post this online and therefore, feed this insecurity or whatever it is, or do I make a choice not to, and just be content having done the work? Yeah. And I think there is a situation in each of our lives that you're probably thinking about right now where you have a similar decision to make. You're thinking about your intentions for wanting to do something, and you know maybe you'll think a little bit differently about what to do uh, in that situation.
0: I think it's so interesting and really open to share. So I appreciate that, that you're talking with your therapist about what to post on social media. Like so interesting that we live in a day and age where our relationship with social media, our relationship with image and our sense of immortality for ourselves is so forward facing in a way that has never been before. How much do you feel like the advent of digital livelihood influenced the content and the ideas in your book? I mean, would this topic have been relevant and how was it relevant pre-digital versus post-digital?
2: Yeah, so as I got obsessed around this idea for this book, when you start writing a book, your antenna is up to see it. And these ideas and themes and stories and examples, your antenna is up to kind of see it everywhere. There is this you know, little part in the Bible. This example will make sense for people, whether they're in a faith context or not, but the disciples were arguing about who was going to be greatest among them <laughs> which is just to say we've been experiencing this you know spotlight mindset for a long time i don't think the conversation is going away anytime soon and in fact the world that we live in these days kids are growing up wanting to be youtube stars like they want to be famous they don't want to be firefighters or whatever. Like they want to be YouTube stars. So the conversation's been long, around for a really long time. It's not going away. And the age of social media and marketing and consumerism, it's just ramping it up. There couldn't be an any more important time to have this conversation to start talking about what success really is than now. And yet I believe that this book is going to be relevant in 50 years, as much as it is today. So we're up against different things, but I think it's uh, at the heart of it, we're dealing with an issue that humans have been dealing with for a very long time.
1: As I was uh, reading your book back in the early 2000s, Seth Godin had a book called Lynchpin that uh, for some reason has always kind of mentally stuck with me. These people in their organization that are linchpins, you know, um, and they're kind of few and far between. Most of us are fairly replaceable, but these linchpins, do such great work that if you removed them from the organization, everything would just kind of change. And and I was thinking about someone that's not spotlight minded and is really you know focused on serving others. Like that's a linchpin type of behavior. And speaking of pre digital, I can't think of if you don't mind sharing the story of the the guy that piloted the spaceship to to Mars. Like what a perfect example of a a non spotlight minded linchpin type of, of of person. I think each of us have those people within our organization. But but what an incredible example. I was just going to uh, ask you to share.
2: Yeah, so a lot of people are familiar with Apollo 11. You know, you got Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, man's first tri- trip to the moon. Uh, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. People know about that, but they don't know there's a third astronaut on that mission named Michael Collins. So Michael Collins, the role that he played, he ubered Neil and Buzz to the moon. Like He gets them there, drops them off. Those guys then do all the various tasks they have to do on the moon's surface while he actually does not get to walk on the moon. He's so close but doesn't get to step on the moon, but he stays in the command module, orbits the moon something like 26 times until those guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. And what I love so much about this story is that when Michael Collins gets back to earth and sits down with the press, what he doesn't do is act like a victim and say something like, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon. He doesn't do that. Instead, he talks about how content he was to have had one of those three seats. He was happy to be part of the mission. And I think the question for all of us is, in all of our various roles that we play, whether you're in a position with a bunch of visibility or not, whether you're the CEO or in a supporting role, the question for us is this, do you have to walk on the moon to be happy? Because I think culture would say, that's exactly what you have to do. If you want to be happy, you got to be the one everyone's talking about. But Michael Collins gives us all a very different picture of what success can look like. And that picture is one of contentment with the role that we play on the team, a role that we play in the larger missions that we are all able to be a part of.
1: What about a manager? If you're in a a manager role and you talked about David Novak and being uh, so recognition-minded and kind of like uh, created a culture around that. So if you are in a leadership role and you tend to be in the spotlight, any advice for managers uh, in terms of recognizing those folks around them and and some of the great work for those people that are are probably doing some of this linchpin type of, of work and going unnoticed, which can sometimes be a bummer, whether you're spotlight minded or not. Um, I think it's kind of a bummer when you do great work and it's not recognized. So any tips for managers that as you were learning about some of these great people that you would give? Yeah, there's this study
2: in a book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. And in this study, they interviewed leaders and said, you know, do you frequently recognize your team members for the work that they do? And 80% of those leaders were like, yeah, i do that. And then they interviewed the direct reports and said, do your managers frequently recognize you for the work that you do? And only 20% of them said yes. And so they, in the book, talk about that as the recognition gap. The reality is we think we're doing a better job of this as leaders than we are. So what do we do about it? I think that really is the heart of the question. Like what do we do about this reality? Great news is it's a very simple solution. You recognize others for doing their work. And so often there's work that goes on behind the scenes or work that happens that no one ever notices but I'm sure that there are times that you really pick up on it, right? I mean, even just on this podcast, there's a team of people that made it possible for the three of us to be sitting down and having this conversation. Like, what if after this, we sent a note to some of those people and just said, hey, I know this is so easy to take for granted, but all of the emails that you sent to make sure everyone showed up on time or the fact that somebody set up all of the gear to have it ready to go for us to sit down and you know hit record. What if we just said thank you to those people? Let's do it right now. This yeah. is exactly <laughs> what this is, right? right? Like to everyone listening who has been a part of making this episode listen or to making this episode possible, like thank you for the work that you do because the listeners would not be able to hear it without them. And there's an editing team that's gonna touch this audio to even get it ready to launch. And then there's going to be a copywriter who's going to write the title for the episode and the description. And somebody's going to upload it to, like, this is an example of so many of the things that are going on in our day-to-day lives. And no one takes the time to say anything. And we could take 30 seconds to just acknowledge that work. And I just have to believe that, The people on the receiving side of that recognition, of that appreciation, they appreciate feeling seen and recognized and valued for the work that they do, what they bring to the table.
0: Question for you, Tim. Some of the concepts that you're talking about, I'm really curious when you were talking with male leaders versus female leaders, if there was a difference in perspective here. I think women, a stereotype about female leaders is that they tend to be better at this. They tend to be better at sort of like nurturing their people or acknowledging work or just simply receiving less credit, less spotlight for it. Could you talk a little bit about some of the themes or differences that you heard from the women that you talked to about their experiences in sort of servant leadership versus men? Did you see anything unique or anything surprising?
2: You know, I actually don't know if I have great data or information for you. I think that there are some of those stereotypes, but I mean, I hate to throw the question back at you, but what has your experience been? Have you found that to be true?
0: Well, I mean, I can't speak for all female leaders, of course, but I can speak for myself. I think I've been really lucky to work for companies where I get a tremendous amount of spotlight. I get a tremendous amount of recognition. I get a lot of opportunities to be in the room. I get a lot of opportunities to have information that I need to be successful. So from my view, there always is a component of this. How do we not just tell our people good job, but advocate for them, try to get them in the room, try to share diverse perspectives And on the other hand, I think you're absolutely right. I'm a huge proponent of servant leadership. It's something I look for in my people. I had a female boss when I was young and I was a gymnastics coach and she would, this is a little extreme. It wasn't like quite this extreme, but she would fire coaches who were pretty big hotshots, great at what they did, but who would like pass garbage when they were walking through the gym that was on the floor or who wouldn't stand and greet families when they were like entering her gym. She really believed in this idea that nobody is above the work we're all going to do to build this community together. And I have always respected that mindset and looked for that in people who I think about promoting.
2: Yeah. And there may be a bias towards um, some of this based on how people are wired, uh, male or female. I think that there are tendencies for all of us in these areas or not but I think that the opportunity for all of us is to show up more like what we're talking about today, better than we did yesterday. And so I've met some really fantastic female leaders that lead in this way. I've met some really fantastic male leaders who lead in this way. And, you know, I, I hope that what I can do is um, keep my antenna up for those great examples and just try to live like that a little bit more. And, um, you know, that today I was just listening to a a podcast episode, hearing a, a really great leader talk, and they just inspire me to want to show up and be more humble and kind and you know better to my team. And and I hope that people are feeling that way when they're hearing this conversation, wanting to show up a little bit differently.
1: So, Tim, in your book, you uh talk about your adulthoods list or secrets of adult, <laughs> secret of adulthoods list. I'm curious if you can uh share that list and how it's changed your life.
2: There's a book called the happiness project by Gretchen Rubin. And there's a little section in her book that she just called secrets of adulthood. You could probably imagine what this section was all about. She just was calling out, "Here are some things that I've learned, you know, at becoming an adult. I just thought it was such a fun little section in the book that on my phone, I was holding our daughter. She was a baby. I was holding her for her nap and I pulled out my phone and, um, started making my own list. What are the secrets of adulthood that I've learned so far? And you know what started as like a fun little list evolved into a more weighty list of, these are the things that I would love to teach my kids someday. Like, here's how I hope they show up. And before I knew it, I actually had a hundred items on this list. I didn't count until the very end, but I was just going, almost until I didn't have anything else to say anymore. In reviewing the list, I found... Some things to be pretty interesting. I found these themes. I found really the things that I valued were illuminated. And I think for a lot of people, if I were to say, you know, what is success to you, they may have a really hard time giving me a list of what that really means for them. But when you make a fun little list like secrets of adulthood, these ways that you see success, the 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 things you value in your life just kind of come to the surface. And so, you know, it's fun little stuff. Like, you know, I have this jazz mornings playlist. It's like, listen to jazz in the mornings. A joyful mood will carry you throughout the day. That's one of them. I also wrote a, you know, try to make it to Augusta every April for the masters. I just think it's a great idea.
1: You know, that's a secret. Now we're talking. Yeah.
2: But then there's things like offer grace over guilt. You know, it's like, these themes around chase what you are passionate about. And if anybody listening to this wants to take 10 minutes, I feel like just sit down and make your own list. And what I found for me was I'm not really motivated by money. That was an interesting theme that came out. I never once wrote anything around money in my list of 100 things. Like that's a pretty big deal to know about yourself but that's true. I don't have any problem with money. It's just not a huge motivator for me in the way that it is for some people. And that was a really fun exercise. And I learned a lot about myself through that process.
1: Billy, do you have any secret of adulthood of your own that you're thinking about? Yeah, give
2: me some. I want to hear it.
0: (laughs) I was just thinking about that. I mean... I've got one. What is yours? Yeah, Billy, what's yours? And let me think on mine.
1: Immediately, like completely random. Wear shoes with traction on them, like smooth-bottom <laughs> shoes, because I've had multiple experiences, like walking in the New York subway on a rainy day with dress shoes on with no traction and almost embarrassing myself. For some reason, that's the the lamest example. But like, buy shoes with traction on them is a is a secrets <laughs> of adulthood.
0: <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, I think a couple of mine would be like. Just increase your following distance when you're driving. It's always just whatever distance you're following at, add a few more feet to it. Safety's no accident. Let's, you know, put a little more safety into our driving. It makes everyone happier. And then there's one from my dad that is uh, this. And I grew up in Montana. So I think that's important where you're doing a lot of outdoor activities in the winter. And this was most applicable to that situation. But the secret to having fun is staying dry.
1: Mm, yeah, there you go.
0: I think that's a good one. Uh, so when you're dressing for weather, do that. But then again, you know, Nanda Pasha bedding, feel the rain on your skin. So I'm not really sure whose advice conflicted weighs out in this situation. I think, I think yeah, <laughs> you need some discernment as an adult. So perhaps that's part of it.
2: You guys are off to a great start. I mean, this is where this list begins. It is very interesting as you spend time thinking about this. You really do. You've got some stuff to say. I think we've all learned a lot of things in our lives. And You know, just to carve out a little time and space to write some of that down, it's pretty fun. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if you were to start kind of your career path all over again, knowing some of the failures, some of the wins, some of the directions you've taken, what would you either do differently? Would you go a totally different route? What would you pursue if you had to start all over? I don't know
2: if I would say or have clarity on like the exact role that I would want to be in. I do feel very uniquely prepared for what I'm doing today because of all those experiences so in that way I wouldn't change a thing but what I am a little embarrassed by as I think back on especially my journey wanting to be a musician is how hard I was trying to work to make that happen for myself for people to know me and you know so much of my identity was wrapped up in how many streams I had on MySpace. Let's talk about MySpace. (laughs) Throwback. (laughs) (laughs) Or how many people were showing up at my concerts. And when you're in your early 20s, trying to figure out who you are, and then, you know, I think it's some of the same experience people are feeling today and how many likes they get on their photo or comments or whatever. Like, that's a really tough place to be. I wish I would have spent less time in that space. And... You know, there's a, a big lesson that I learned from my time at StoryBrand and working with Don. And he released a book, I think it was in 2015, called Scary Close. About 10 days after a book comes out is when you find out if it's hit the various bestseller lists. And he was in the office that day when he got a call from the publisher. And, you know, after he, he hangs up with them, he lifts his hands in the air and says, we hit number five on the New York Times which is a pretty big deal. That's the highest any of his books had ever been on the New York Times. And so we high five, we hug, and then something really beautiful happens. We all went back to work. And when I've told people that story, some people, I swear, they're looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Do you not know how to celebrate wins? But what I love about that story and that example is we had built a culture, a a community of people where people were content doing the work. It didn't really matter if we ever got those accolades. It's a nice pat on the back. It's nice to feel validated for some of that great work, but we weren't chasing after it. It really wasn't even the goal. It was more of a nice to have. So my point in bringing that up is I wish that I would have been willing to be an amateur a little longer be an amateur a little bit longer and the difference between an amateur and a professional is if you look up in the dictionary an amateur is somebody who's, they do an activity for the love of the activity not necessarily to make money and i think i was trying to be a professional in music faster than i really needed to i wish i would have just fallen more in love with the craft and been willing to just do it for fun rather than trying to make it a job so quickly and you know, it's not surprising I was trying to make it a job because I was, you know, 21, 22. You're starting to think about career at that point. I was focused a lot on myself. You know, I think humility and kind of elevating other people, helping them win is something that I've really started to enjoy in the the later, the more recent years of, of my life. I can't say later years of my life because it's like, how old am I? I'm like 36. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm a 60 year old. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're really aging out of the system right now. Um, I love that example, though. I resonate with that a lot. I think about all these times in my life where something that I've been just hoping will happen, I've been working for, I've been grinding towards, like whether it's Billy and I working together to get to partner with a new client or a team of mine who really has like just a huge success when we've overcome a big challenge. There's so many of these silent moments where you win and you're just kind of in this like everyday. There's no confetti, there's no champagne. It's just like a quiet moment of acknowledgement and then you go back to work. I think as a manager, something now I always try to do is ask my team like, hey, what wins did you experience this week that we didn't celebrate? Tell me about your wins. And just creating that space for a team to talk about what are you celebrating so that I can turn quiet moments for them into these like slightly larger than life or I can be that confetti moment for them and what they're celebrating I think that's really fun. Like, what were your micro wins this week? What are the things I didn't see? What are the things you just quietly celebrated by yourself? Like, let's just talk about them. Let's make sure we're acknowledging them together. Has been a really fun game changer.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of times people just feel really uncomfortable feeling like they're bragging about themselves unless they're given permission. It's like, all right, hey, brag about yourself here. Where'd you crush it this week? I'd love to hear it. And When you give people the permission, they'll usually say it. And then you get to elevate that, pump them up, you know, make them feel appreciated and valued for what they did to make stuff happen.
0: I think there is something so important in that too. Like, especially in the industries that we work in, in marketing, in really hard, complex problem solving, in strategy, in client services, certainly it can be easy to stop celebrating wins, to focus so much on risk or challenges or problems or the things weighing us down. Like, I think people fundamentally need to know that they're winning. They need to understand, first of all, what does it mean to win? Like, what's the scoreboard? What am I being scored against? And what is on that scoreboard? And second of all, they just want to feel that sense of accomplishment when it's there. And so often, I think the difference between a really great culture and a fun place to work is a place that stops and says, like, no, we're winning. Like, here's where we're winning. Let's take a tally of it. Let's tell a story about it. Let's construct this narrative versus those that focus Exclusively on problem and risk. Curious if you, I don't know, saw any of that sense or if you had any people who you talked to who talked about transitioning from being sort of like negatively minded or really focused on problems and failure versus just a mindset shift to focusing more on positivity and winning and finding those opportunities.
2: The CEO of Spotify, Daniel Eck, said that the value of a business is the sum of all problems solved. And if you think about that, what we do in business is solve problems time and time again, whether it's in marketing, hey, we're not getting as many eyeballs on this thing as we need to. Okay, cool. Let's go figure out a strategy to solve that problem. Or maybe it's for business leaders tackling the various problems that we have to tackle. This is what value you are creating as you run a business, You're solving problems. And so, there's something here about falling in love with the process which is fall in love with the journey which is solving problems and enjoying it not to be derailed when those problems or challenges come but to expect them and to almost normalize guys isn't this great this is what we get to do and so if you've ever been on a team that has a four or five employees and then you're on a, you know a team that has 50 those are very different problems that you're solving and yet you just solve them time and time again at different scale and that's just kind of what it looks like to grow a business. And so there is a just a posture that you have to show up with as you think about challenges and failures and those kinds of things that I no longer see that as negative necessarily, but more as baseline. This is what's going to happen and how we respond to those things is really what sets people up for success or not. Even going back to what we talked a little bit about earlier, you know, Scott Hamilton, what he has taught me about success is success is embracing challenges, learning from failure, and responding to the various setbacks that we experience.
1: Love that. And I know our marketer listeners can uh, relate to that. We've talked about it on a couple previous podcasts, just like the ability in marketing to learn from mistakes. And because you're going to, you're going to mess up. You're going to have that email, that email campaign that goes out that either doesn't do well or has something, a typo in it randomly. There's always
2: a typo. (laughs) You can work so hard and there's always a typo. I remember being at uh, MailChimp one day and I talked to a guy who actually is the one who hit send. To these, you know, big broadcasts at Mailchimp, they had like eight million people on their date in their database, and this is several years ago. But the pressure—I <laughs> mean, I don't know if you've ever hit, you know, send on an email, wondering is there a typo? Is what did I miss? It's a lonely place. <laughs> Imagine the the weight of eight million
0: about forty five times a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About every client we work with every day. <laughs> Okay. So this is my favorite question to ask everyone. We of course work primarily with marketing and product teams trying to build the best user experiences we can on behalf of the brands that we partner with. So I always like to invite our guests to talk positive trash about a brand you love what's a brand that you just are super addicted to their product? You love what they're doing. You love how they treat you. You love the loyalty program that they've built. You are a repeat buyer because it's so easy. Like Talk positive about a brand that you love for us. And
1: you can't say Chick-fil-A, Tim, because that's already been said
0: before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, the Masters does an exceptional job. They've been building that brand. I think the first Masters tournament was 1934. And you know, there's something that I love and I've kind of started daydreaming about what my next book could be about. And this idea of businesses are looking for a silver bullet and I just don't think there is one. The silver bullet in business is continuous improvement. It's getting a little bit better. And I think that what the Masters has done is they look at every facet of their business at every tournament, and they try to make it a little bit better, a better experience for their patrons. They don't don't even call them fans or customers, they call them patrons. And then as they even think about what's the viewing experience like, the digital experience during the Masters is unlike anything that you would ever see in another golf tournament. And so that brand is exceptional to me. And They're um, trying to create a positive and and excellent experience for everybody, and and they just keep trying to make it better. I think we can all learn something from that.
0: I'll tell you what, Tim, if you write that book and you don't include what all of the dinners have been that were hosted by the previous champion, I'm going to be really disappointed because (laughs) I would read just that book. So please include those details. Thank you very much. All right.
2: It makes me so happy that you even know about those dinners. <laughs> I mean, you're in. You're like way deeper than the typical person. I'm I'm pumped about this.
0: Okay. Well, you're really speaking to your friend and comrade and the other Billy. So Billy, curious what your closer question is.
1: Yeah. No, Tim, again, thank you so much for coming on to Room for Growth. And it's been a, a change of pace for us where we've been talking to a lot of marketers in our past episodes, but wanted to really talk think about, you know, the leaders and the people on teams one last question. What what are you reading right now or listening to or watching on, you know, your favorite streaming service that you think would be a quality share before we exit our time today?
2: So the book that I've read in the last couple of years that I just can't get enough of is Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. It's so inspiring. And a lot of marketers are creative. And, you know, there's just something in that book that just awakens this desire to create things. and. I would highly recommend checking out that book.
1: Awesome, That's a new one to me. So thank you for that share. We'll check it out.
2: It's so good. If you read it and don't like it, please call me and then we're going to talk because I want to know why.
1: <laughs> Will do. You, you have our word. And Tim, again, thank you for coming on to Room for Growth and we appreciate it. What was it? Uh, Friday?
2: Friday night, live it up.
1: Friday night, live it up. So with that, let's go live it up. Thanks a lot, Tim.